Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Jean-Luc. Jean-Luc. I'm Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Welcome to the Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast. A couple of guys just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. How you doing, Adam? Doing great, man. Not as great as you are, though. <laughs> feel like uh, it's not a competition, like he... <laughs> isn't it? Though what? No, come on. <laughs> not a competition, but I've been uh, I've been hearing with great envy about your time in Nerlands. Yeah, I went to the Big Easy. I had two friends reach out while I was down there, and I took great delight in saying, like, oh, yeah, I can't hang out today. I'm in the Big Easy. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. You were just the person that said it's not a competition and and listened to you throwing it in people's faces. Yeah. It was fun. It's fun to say you're in the Big Easy. (laughs) How many nights were you there? Four-night trip. Ooh. It was, uh, I guess, Baby Moon... Is that what you do before you have a baby, or is that is that after a baby? No, I think it's before. I think I think you got it right the first time. Because honeymoon is after you get married, so that doesn't make sense. It is the mental math of baby moon is very confusing. But uh, (laughs) uh, that was the the idea was uh, some friends that we uh, we really miss from New York met up with us there. Oh, great! And one of them went to college in Tulane, so she uh, really knows her way around town. She gets to New Orleans several times a year. Wow! Has. All of the great restaurant and bar wrecks and was just a great tour guide that isn't a local but can talk local, you know? I love that kind of trip where you aren't the one uh, looking on the Eater website <laughs> and uh, like and like putting stars on your map right. yeah. for places to go. That's already been done. I just uh, jazz gum every morning, walk around mm. with a hurricane and a promotional plastic cup. Wow. In a chain around your neck. <laughs> now, I've never been to, to Nerland, so I've got a couple of questions, mm. if you wouldn't mind answering them for sure. me. Play them on. Given that you're now, now that I'm Now that I've been there for <laughs> four days. I always saw it as a kind of Vegas in that uh, the, the thing, my personal rule about Vegas is no more than three nights mm. because it's just so much. Right. And... and New Orleans seems like that kind of place, but you went four nights. Did you feel like that was the right amount to be there, given given how much of New Orleans there is? I, I wish I could have stayed longer, honestly. like yeah. I think that... So, I don't quite know what the gambling expectations you would have for New Orleans would be, because there are casinos. I saw a mm-hmm. few casinos out the windows of various lifts while I was there. Mm-hmm. And that's why I said what I said about Vegas. It's the combination of intoxication and gambling and just vice in general. Right, yeah. Like that much vice for that many nights. Um, we didn't um, have any gambling component to the trip. It, it was an oops all food trip. Other than digestively, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And also the couple that we were with had their five-month-old baby with them. So this was also... Oh, no. <laughs> You say that like it's a bad thing, but we were really eager to meet this little kid and uh, they get- That's not what you said off the mic. They got babysitters for two of the nights. So we went out and like did like late night 
music stuff. You get you get Baby Rover, right? <laughs> when you go to a different city. No, like I said, she's got roots in in the city, so she can she can draw on wow. like known people. It's amazing. Yeah, it was great. It was so much fun. I had a day. I think it was the last full day that we were in town, though, that really could have gone badly. Uh, far worse for me than is generally known. <laughs> <laughs> Which was that I, uh, I I packed like one pair of long pants and one pair of shorts on this trip. And the pair of shorts I picked, not because they're my favorite pair of shorts. In fact, they're kind of my least favorite pair of shorts. They're the pair of shorts that is the least falling apart right now. <laughs> like, What is going on with I just, you? I haven't bought new bottoms in a long time. And so all my shorts either have like holes. All of your shorts are vintage linen, right? They, they just all have like holes in the pockets or like blown out crotches or, you know, like they just, yeah. they're all just like worn to hell except for this one pair. Uh-huh. And so this was uh-huh. the pair I, d- I chose to bring. And the one with juicy on the butt. We were, um, well, you, you, you mentioned the butt, but, uh, we were at this <laughs> restaurant for lunch eating. I had like a porchetta sandwich that was like absolutely phenomenal. And you ate that right in front of your wife? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You while, ate it at your wife? While making eye contact. Just like incredible <laughs> mac and cheese. Everything everything we ate was incredible. But I dropped wow. my napkin and we were on like, we were on a oh, high no. table outside. And I went oh. to get the napkin. I bent over like a fully 18 inch long <laughs> rip goes down the back of my shorts. <laughs> Like, like not a little subtle 18 rip. 18 inches, pretty much the whole butt, huh? Full butt rip. Like, my entire <laughs> ass is hanging out. And and it, we're, like, eating outdoors against the, like, floor-to-ceiling windows of this restaurant. So there's, like, an entire dining room of people looking at this when it happens. <laughs> I like got back up on my stool and my wife was Was there like a genteel southern gentleman <laughs> on the scene to bring you a new pair of trousers? <laughs> uh several monocles fell out. Why sir, I had noticed your buttocks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a simple country attorney, but I I do declare <laughs> you have offended me, sir. <laughs> I do not know how to define obscenity, but I know it when I see it. <laughs> my wife helped make sure that my, like when I got back up on my stool, not too much of the of the rip was open. But um, you just you just grab like six cloth napkins and tie them all together yeah. into a kind of skirt situation. But I was like, "What do you even do, man? You know me. I'm 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 a person that is like pretty." reticent about spending money when it's like a i fucked something up and i just like i don't want to like you're kind of a money martyr aren't I'm you a, i'm a bit of a money martyr and i i was like okay i found i like went on my phone and i found a clothing store that looked like it sold promising menswear uh, about a 15 minute walk from where we were and I was like I, I'm just gonna I'm gonna- my good sir do I have an offer for you <laughs> I just happened to be walking by this fine restaurant <laughs> and I noticed your buttocks had spilled out of your shorts <laughs> if you'll allow me to invite you <laughs> to my southern shorts emporium 
<laughs> My atelier is not 15 minute walk yonder. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I proposed I'm going to I'm going to walk over to this place and see if I can't uh, scare up a new pair of butt coverings. And my wife was like, yeah. what the fuck are you talking about? You are not walking for 15 minutes with your ass hanging out. Hey, someone's going to ask, which means I have to mm. ask. What's going on under the shorts? Uh, I had briefs on. Color? Like a navy blue brief. Cleanliness or, or wear pattern? like Relatively new, okay. not sus. Okay. I'd be right at home in a gay nightclub in these briefs. <laughs> uh, that's a story for another time. <laughs> Your wife, quite sensibly, does not want to be seen with you generally, yeah. but also specifically in this moment. It has it... This is a luncheon you're having, yeah. and so it's daytime on this it's, walk? It's, it's lunch. We're with friends. I didn't want to, like, split up with the group. She persuaded me to, to you know, use a ride-sharing app. You know, a lot of ride-shares won't pick you up with a blown-out butt. Well, this was the thing. I was, I was like, do I need to, like, is there a requirement to say, like, hey, I'm going to be sitting on your back seat. I'm going to make sure that there's fabric in between my ass and the seat. <laughs> <laughs> or do you like do you always face the driver i've always like i i was like i was like i think i can get away with not bringing the situation up to the driver and i did i agree i made it yeah. i made it to the store without the driver knowing perfect i got into the store i pick up a pair of shorts that i like quite a bit they're the last pair that they have on this particular shelf an excellent selection sir they're my size i go into the changing room i put them on i'm like this could not have gone better. Like I like these are good. These are a good pair of shorts from a brand that I already have uh, an appreciation for in my size. They look good with what I already have on a plus. So I move all like my, you know, my wallet and my pocket knife and my AirPods, yeah. everything into my new pockets. And I walk out yeah. and I take the tag off the back, like pop, put it on the checkout stand. I say, I'm going to wear these out, sir. And he said, all right. And he starts ringing me up. And I said, yeah, I had a bit of a fashion emergency. And I hold up like Jared, the subway guy, hold up old shorts to show him uh -huh. what the before was. Uh-huh. He's like, that'll happen. And like continues to ring me up like he fucking sees this 10 times a day. I was so upset. <laughs> 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 you wanted the uh, you wanted the thank you for your service moment. I, I wanted it to you? be like, holy mackerel, you really had a morning, <laughs> you know, something. It was like he couldn't. He it was like it was so routine to him. It was like I was offering to pay with cash instead of a card. You know what? He's a he's a battlefield surgeon. He's seen he's, it all. He's seen. He's been in the trenches for a long time. He's probably wondering why there wasn't a mix of blood and feces on the back of those shorts. <laughs> oh, perhaps I should have been more specific. There was. <laughs> you know, most people overdo it with the crawdads and hurricanes first. Yeah, yeah. So. I, I get out and I'm like, so the thing was, the restaurant that we'd had lunch at, I'd had like one of the best frosty frozen beverages I've ever had in my entire life. Uh -huh. I don't remember much about it. I, I just I just remember it being like <laughs> that good, huh? I just remember it being like incredible. Like it was it was like really strong in a way yeah. that is like not usually the case for a frosty beverage. Yeah. But also like well balanced and I don't know, there's something about the combination of like the sweltering muggy heat that we were sitting in and that frosty beverage 
and the searing humiliation that I was feeling knowing what was going to happen when I got out of my stool and revealed my ass to the entire restaurant. But I was like, Uh oh, man, I I got shorts like this happened so quickly. I've definitely got time to get back there and get that frosty beverage. But I uh, texted my wife and they'd already moved to a different location and I had to go have less good drinks at like a hotel patio. You're a better man than I am, Ben, because I would have been like, hey, this is taking a little longer than I thought. I will I will see you on that hotel patio in about 20 minutes longer than you think it's going to take me. So now for the rest of my life, I'm going to be thinking about that drink. The drink that got away. But... um. The good news was as as I departed that place in the in the lift I saw that the Hot 8 brass band was playing around the corner and so like later that night we got to go see the Hot 8 brass band famous for being the band that forms the drop for Ron Canada. Wow. It all comes together. Yeah. Ah. Oh. It was. Is that like me going to the park where they land the bird of prey <laughs> in Star Trek Four? Like, is, was that the reason for this trip the whole time? <laughs> yeah, it was a thinly veiled pretext for me to murder my wife. Wow. Well, Ben, I know a word for what a person was thinking seeing you hang that ass. <laughs> I believe the word is revulsion. Uh, oh. Nicely done, friend. Uh, That is a mission log level pivot. Let's get into it, Adam. (laughs) It's season four, episode five of Star Trek Voyager. Revolution. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. We open on an unfamiliar ship, and a dude inside looks like he fell into some red crud. (laughs) And uh, he's being dragged to a place where he can be cleaned off. Yeah. Obviously. He at least has red crud on the back of his head. Right. No shot of the back of his shorts. Not a lot of red crud continuity, though, because like there's sort of a passage of time. He's dragged a great distance. Yeah. Sometimes he's painting with the back of his head. In other shots, he's not. Does he run out of crud? What happened? It's got to be such a relief when you're dragging a body when they finally stop bleeding. Like, because you're doing the math in your head, right? I got to clean up after this. And it's going to be a lot to do. Yeah. yeah. But like you reach that last hundred yards before you get to the boat that you're going to put them on before throwing them overboard. And you're like, right. Well, at least I don't have to pressure wash the dock. (laughs) I mean, who hasn't thought this? Yeah. This will date this episode a little bit. But I just looked at some footage of the person that threw a piece of cake at the Mona Lisa and like Mm -hmm. the security guard from the Louvre in security guard outfit trying to like use a napkin to wipe the cake, (laughs) the cake off the protective glass that protects the Mona Lisa. And like, yeah. What I wanted when this guy starts cleaning up the red crud was some smearage. And it's not smearing. It's like he's like, it's like, it's maddening to watch somebody like rub a, a napkin against red crud and it like doesn't even move around. Out, down, spot. Out, I said. It's maddening because you and I know what blood does when you just try to mash a napkin into it or whatever. <laughs> yeah. This is the case for wipes. It's the case for a bidet also. <laughs> you don't just use dry paper to clean up a mess like this. <laughs> The guy doing a bad job of cleaning up this mess is uh, 
DeJaron, played by Leland Orser of Knife Strap on fame. Yeah. And he kind of looks a little bit like he maybe has like data face paint. Like it's kind of hard to see because these scenes are all very darkly lit. I agree. That's the point of how it's set up here. I, You kind of stopped my mind in its tracks with the seven reference <laughs> because I actually did look at Leland Orser's IMDb and I was like, God, this guy... This guy's really done a lot of fun things. Do you know his credit in Seven? I don't. It's Crazed Man in Massage Parlor. <laughs> massage Parlor? That is not what I interpreted that place as being. <laughs> Me neither. What a great credit, though. <laughs> that is a role that you take as an actor, knowing that that will be the thing you are known for forever, right? Hey, Ben, uh, you want to do some improv? Yes, and what should we do it about? All right, Ben. Thanks for coming in. You're going to be reading for the part of Crazed Man in Massage Parlor. Oh, and okay. What we're doing here is we aren't giving any script pages at all. We just kind of want to see how you would be as a crazed man in a massage parlor. So why don't you go ahead and just give me uh, a couple of takes? <laughs> he made me. Fuck. <laughs> How's that? Hey, that was that was great. Uh, maybe, maybe give me one. F- no, here's what I always used to say as a director. All right, now give me one for safety. <laughs> Except maybe make this one a little more uh, suggestive. <laughs> I'm beginning to think that a major aerospace company let you go for. <laughs> Different reasons than having a slightly different strategy surrounding how they hire filmmaking talent. (laughs) Yeah, it turns out their reason was cause. (laughs) Well, yeah, so this guy, this hollow man. Yeah. This hollow man. Tin man. I mean, we find out that he's a hollow man in the scene because he kind of blips and scatters a little bit. Before he describes himself even, which right. is which is what he says when he puts out his distress call that he is an isomorphic projection. Yeah. He's in distress. He needs he needs some help from anybody. Anybody It's a literal distress call, isn't yeah. it? He leaves out the part where he needs help cleaning up blood, right? <laughs> like Guys, I'm in a very messy ship. <laughs> I'm going to need a lot of wet wipes. The napkins are not moving the blood around quite the way you expect. So anything you yeah. could do to help would really be great. Enough time has passed to where I'm actually going to need like those razor blade chisels that you use to get <laughs> gum off of a, a concrete floor. <laughs> That would actually be more useful to me. If anybody has uh, worked in a massage parlor or similar. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm I'm you know a tool that would be really useful for for me is like something that you could attach plausibly to a dildo in a horror movie directed by David Fincher. <laughs> Sounds great. After the opening credits, we come back to the Friars Roast of Tuvok. You know, they only roast the ones they love. It's also the first episode of the Delta Flyers podcast because Kim and Paris really take it away here. (laughs) They do, yeah. It turns out they're doing bits on pips, Adam. It's my pleasure to grant you the rank of Lieutenant Commander. That may be the first rule of the Delta Flyers podcast. (laughs) We have different rules over here. Yeah. On the greatest generation. The cause for the gathering. And and you don't know this initially. And I was like, what, like, what is fucking wrong 
what is wrong with the officers on the Voyager that they got together in the lunchroom with their own table and are making the entire rest of the crew watch them share anecdotes? <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> it makes more sense when you realize that this is what they have by way of a dais. Yeah, it's the best they've got. And it, it's not like, you know, this is the reason that the restaurants have the banquet room behind the doors. Right. Yeah. Because if you saw what was going on in there, I mean, they brought their own cake? <laughs> you could do that? <laughs> that is like Look at all those presents. That's bringing your own cake is like standard practice in my wife's family in a way that I had, yeah. I had never encountered that before and I I was like they're going to kick us out the first time they did that like like pulled a banana cake out for somebody's birthday at family Mexican restaurant. I was like we're going to get in trouble. Uh, you shouldn't have done that. You got to order off the menu, guys. There's no corkage fee for cakes. The banana cake reveal must have been a huge deal in your family. My family also, not a bring a cake to a restaurant family. Yeah. Because of the logistics. Where's that thing going to ride? You're just going to put it on your lap for the entire drive, and then you're going to walk it in? And then how do you even wrap a cake? You need one of those those cake containers with the lid. Yeah. No family I've ever met more accustomed to just dealing with the logistics of, of things than my wife. You married family. into a banana cake family is what you did. <laughs> and uh, so Tuvok is now a lieutenant commander. He kind of gives as good as he gets. I thought his, his little acceptance speech was a nice balance of measured Vulcan appreciation without expressing emotion, but also kind of roasting everybody back a little bit. I don't know how half as well as I should like, and I like less than half of the half as well as you deserve. It's kind of the quintessential scene of what is Star Trek. Yeah. This is Star Trek. This is it. It's a little bit of of light dunking and a little bit of sincerity in the same scene. (laughs) And a guy getting a pip. Yeah. You ever watch Star Trek? After dinner... BLT and Paris catch up in the hallway, and it is clear that while Jacote was down on planet war, they did not pursue the confession of love that they shared at the end of the episode before that. That can wait till the soon after. In the now, you need my help to nullify the nemesis. Yeah, and so this is the first time they've talked about it since. In like three days. The sad realization here is that BLT tells Paris that in order to find Paris attractive, she needs to be oxygen deprived. (laughs) He's like, well, that's fine, Balana. I have a selection of webbed leather belts in my quarters. (laughs) And so that's going to be the basis for their relationship. She's like, you know, I, I think you're okay right now. But maybe we should go into a shuttle bay and kind of crack the door. Yeah. (laughs) It looks like they're going to try to, like, actually go on a date or something. But the doctor interrupts a a big smooch. Sir, sir, I've isolated the reverse power flux coupling. With a bucket of ice water that Paris is going Mm. to be taking back over as nurse now that Kess is no longer seconded to Six Bay. I was amazed they even said her name. (laughs) <laughs> like, I was so sure this was a show that just wanted to turn the page utterly. Yeah. But yeah, it's Paris's job if he wants it, and I guess he can't turn it down. Yeah, it's Paris's job if he wants it, and also if he doesn't want it. <laughs> it's an order. Uh-huh. <laughs> Coffee. Speaking of people being given assignments they may or may not want, Chakotay is doing the same with Kim. Yeah. 
Except it's a project that goes back a ways. This is a project that Kim has kind of a professional association with. So he can't just let it go. He's got to continue his work and he's been assigned to do that work with Seven of Nine. The misgivings he has about collaborating with her stem back to the time that she bonked him on the head. Seems legit, like a legitimate beef there, I think. <laughs> right. Like if you told your boss like, hey, I don't want to work with her. She bonked me on the head. It kind of sucks if your boss is like, tough nuggies, you got to do it. It wasn't a light bonking either. No. It really took him down. It not only knocked him down, it knocked down the security guy that was watching him to defend him in case she went for a bonking. Chakotay is so oblivious, Chakotay assigns that security guy to like clean up the the shuttle bay alcove. (laughs) What the hell, Chakotay? Chakotay's really traumatized from his recent experience, but they got to get this astrometrics lab up and running. Big deal. Yeah. They got like they got like a whole new set they got to build. So let's get on it. It sure does seem like everyone at this party is talking about work in a way that's kind of sad because the camera kind of dodges around to different people <laughs> here at the at the post party hang. And like Janeway is assigning Neelix to some ambassadorial thing that we never see for the rest of the episode. Like no one has anything else to talk about besides work on this ship. And it makes sense on the one hand, but on the other hand, it really makes me sad. Yeah. I mean, like the one break you get is the shot that follows Ensign Wildman into the pool and then like watches her swim away from the camera and then the camera comes back up out of the water. Where Tuvok is dressed like a future cowboy, like (laughs) trying out a new look. (laughs) And Becky Barnett is just like fine with it, like not really getting it, not supporting it, not against it. (laughs) No one's talking about Kess. This is the scene where people should be like, wasn't that crazy how she kind of turned into a being of pure energy yeah, and yeah. also took a shuttle and now she's gone? You think we're ever going to see her again? And then they'll like bend down out of frame to do a line and then... <laughs> 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 Neelix is really the uh, Luis Guzman of the crew, isn't he? <laughs> it's like, Janeway, you gotta, you gotta put me on a mission. Honey, Amber, baby, please talk to Jack. Tell him I can do this. Yeah, he's a little too over-enthusiastic, but he's been doing great work getting... Dip- Who's the Dirk Diggler of the Voyager crew, then, if we're gonna carry this Boogie Nights metaphor to its natural conclusion? It is obviously Harry Kim. Something about it reminds me of being in the womb. Get up, Harry. Who are you? Harry Kim. Parents must be very proud. Who are you? They come as come as a pair. Who are you? Harry Kim. Who else is she supposed to get chummy with? Harry Kim. And your mom? Very proud. Who are you? Harry Kim. Chummy. Chummy. And your mom? Very proud. Harry Kim. Who are you? Harry Kim. Yeah, it's gotta be. He is a star. Yeah. He's a s- <laughs> yeah yeah it is harry kim isn't it <laughs> the captain gets called up to the bridge and the suggestion is that the doc may want to join her and when they go up they look on facetime at this distress call that they got that, that we saw sent out at the beginning of the episode and the doc is like i mean talk about like put me in a put me in a scene like the doc is like send me on this away mission he starts like ordering people around on the bridge i don't recall giving you a promotion today he's so excited at the idea of meeting another hollow another hollow like him this guy's just like him and he wants to help initially janeway's like you're in my nook like (laughs) (laughs) 
let me be the captain. But finally, he kind of convinces Janeway that he's the right guy for the job. But he's going to need a chaperone, and that's going to be BLT. Yeah. She she also expresses some concern for the security of his mobile emitter. Like, we don't just send you on away missions because when you go on away missions, you're taking a vital piece of technology that, right. you know, enables you to have freedom with you. So It is waterproof, but not... Hammer proof, <laughs> Doctor. There's coffee in your mobile emitter. So BLT is going to go with, and the rest of the crew are going to go on to do whatever diplomatic crap they're working on. And this is just great news for the EMH. The news is a little different down in the shuttle bay where Seven of Nine lives. When Kim walks in, I mean, he's definitely carrying the feelings about being hit earlier, but... Those aren't the only feelings that he's carrying. I feel like the steaminess of them begins immediately, like from jump. It's like if you're going into a haunted house, but you're also horny for whatever might happen. Yeah, if this is your kink. (laughs) If haunted house is your kink, (laughs) nothing gets me a bigger charger than the smell of (laughs) stage smoke. And the thought that, like, a theater student might jump out from behind a book. Yeah. 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 She uh, wasn't expecting him. She's uh, ready to get to work. But it doesn't matter. That's all she does. Yeah. He didn't catch her doing something. Knock on my door! Knock next time! She wasn't recharging at the time. Yeah. We cut over to the Brat-style shuttle. I can climb! Where the Doc and BLT are on their way to this... This hollow ship. Right. And Paris is an off-limit subject. Yeah. The Doc is really awkward this episode. Yeah, he's like he, he's like wearing a, a hole in the carpet on the shuttle, mm-hmm. pacing. Uh, and he's like, yeah, he's worried about Paris running six bay while he's gone, which is a very funny thing for, like... I, like I, I love that, like, he has anxiety, but what he has anxiety about is not, like, I want to get and rescue the, the hollow man that we saw, like, because I'm so curious about him being the rare counterpart of mine that we encounter. It's much more worried about, like, God damn it, he's going to fuck everything up back home. Doctor, please. I'm looking at the schedule, and for some reason, it's all breast augmentations. <laughs> <laughs> How can one person do four vaginal rejuves in a row? Am I making any sense here? No, you're not making any sense here. When all you have to do is wave a light over it? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like he's tacking on a vajazzling as a as a bonus. <laughs> a small added fee. God, butt lifts for everyone. Yeah. So they beam over to this alien ship and BLT very quickly finds like a dildo recharger in a corner do you see this thing no i did not notice (laughs) and i usually look for things like that i'm just gonna hold it up so you can you can notice the dildo recharger first thing she walks up to (laughs) 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 yeah i don't know what that thing is of all the things dejerin is is busy sanitizing he doesn't Think to go over that one yeah. with a light. It looks like one of those things that you like, you put a quarter in and like a dive bar and it tells you how much of a hunk you are or something. Yeah. <laughs> you have to punch it as hard as you can and it tells you how strong you <laughs> right. are. The Dejerin character like appears behind them a couple of times in this scene. Like he's, he's watching yeah. them, but they don't see him yet. This is the sort of thing that Ensign Kim would uh, really get 
a total boner over, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. Scare me, daddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Imagine if Ensign Kim was on this mission. <laughs> <laughs> the Leland, Leland Orser character would not be the only one with a hammer in this scene. <laughs> Boy, when he finally appears, he introduces himself and says he's from Soros. And uh oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fun. the planet behind everything. Yeah, a bunch of uh, right wing cranks on Twitter. Start freaking out about what DeJaren's real agenda is. Yeah. Really makes you suspicious of this guy's whole deal, Mm, huh? Yeah. It's like, did you really flee communism? DeJaren states that his duties are usually mechanical. He's sort of a Spock box type hologram going in and doing the the cleanup, which is why when we saw those earlier scenes, (laughs) he was not used to cleaning up biological messes. and. We have proof of that. I've got to get that platinum. Put your platinum where your mouth is. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen. Because these are very low dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order, plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. 
I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on. Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. The story Dejerin tells is that the crew had contracted a virus. Yeah. And they died from it. And from what we saw in the cold open, it seems to be the sort of virus that blows out the back of your head. (laughs) (laughs) Gets you dragged through the ship. I feel like we know that this is a lie based on the opening scene, but the EMH and BLT don't. So they have to assume that this ship has a virus on board it. And no discussion of like, is BLT safe? Is there like a quarantine area? Listen to me. If we break quarantine, we could all die. Look, could you open the goddamn hatch? I was totally with you on this. Like there, there should have been like some dialogue about that, I felt like. The mere mention of a virus should have triggered a change in behavior on any level. A change in behavior that never happened. They like really extend trust and never drop it until it's like way far past him seeming yeah. trust. like the the second a hammer fell out of thin air behind them they should have been like eh, let's be careful around this shit <laughs> you know were you at any point clear on what exactly the mission was over there too like were they gonna was this purely an investigation were they gonna tractor the ship somewhere like It's interesting, like, when you get the message that this is a a distress call, I guess the assumption is you're going to come over and help. But there's no specificity to the help that that they're there to provide, at least that I can recall. Well, so BLT starts by, like, trying to stabilize his hollow matrix. But then I think that next step would be, like, get his ship set up so that he can, like, go home or whatever. We are far from home. We need help. Let me guess, their rubber band broke, right? The suggestion of that doesn't go over well later. Yeah, so he he's like a, an extreme hazard guy who, you know, isn't really used to being around people. And he asked the EMH, like, do you have a name? And the EMH says he doesn't, which I felt like was a pretty sad example of Schmalis erasure. Yeah. He does kind of have a name, right? Yeah. What's the holdup here, Doc? I don't get it. Does he just want people to keep the name Schmalis out their fucking mouth? <laughs> well, I mean, he was going to name himself Dejerin. And, uh, <laughs> Not after today. <laughs> that's an awkward moment. Yeah. So they're going to set about fixing up the ship. The doctor is going to set about scanning this isomorphs matrix. And we cut back to Seven and Harry Kim doing some work. Seven is like is trying to be like hot shot new hire at work she's like hey this thing i just installed ready to go throw the switch and harry kim is like uh 
That went a little quick. I'm going to check your work, and turns out she's not that good. It must have been my humanity reasserting itself. A little bit of carelessness, and I like this take from Jerry Ryan, like Seven having the confidence of being a Borgs and of also being a tryhard, but she's also paranoid. Yeah, and a little defensive when she doesn't do... It perfect. This is why I'm never confident about anything, because the moment you're confident about something and then you're proven to be <laughs> foolish about that thing, your life is ruined. The only thing I'm confident of is that there's no rake right in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> so we go from this scene to another scene where Seven of Nine is like ready to reach into a dangerous area, yeah. which is like full of super high voltage material. Yeah. And Kim gets super protective and horny about what what she's doing. Wait, what are you doing there? Five billion gigawatts running through there. Giggity. And Seven of Nine's like, my limbs can take an astonishing amount of voltage. Yeah. Like I'm built for this. Those fingers that have the little metal tips on them are, are protected from that kind of stuff. And he's like, mm-hmm. eh, but there are procedures. So let's follow them. I thought it was interesting because, like, Harry Kim is not written to be like Rick Berman, you know? Like, when she goes down the ladder, he says, after you, not let me go first, you know? Right. This is a down the long ladder situation. Sure is. But, yeah, in this scene where he's, like, got his hands on her shoulders and they're a little closer than they would have been otherwise, it does feel like it's getting a little bit hot and heavy in this Jeffrey's too. Your procedures are a waste of time. The light really does a lot of work in all of these scenes, right? It's always turned down. They're always very close. They're always in each other's nooks. And that glowy red from the high voltage cables is kind of making it a little bit moody as well. So, what do you do for fun down in Cargo Bay 2? Back on the alien ship, Isomorph Guy is asking about the mobile emitter. He they talk, they discussed the mobile emitter a little bit when they first came aboard in a way that he could obviously overhear which you know puts you ill at ease because the safety of the mobile emitter has already come up in this episode. The more they talk about it the more fraught that situation feels yeah i liked this performance of like so uh you know what's what's the deal with that like not that i'm particularly interested in it for any particular reason but uh curious like what can you do with it and in this conversation the emh describes what his life is like and Dejerin describes what his life is like, and Dejerin sort of sounds like he is a slave i mean even without the doc describing what his life is like. It sounds like Dejerin has a pretty awful go of it working for uh, the Soroses. (laughs) (laughs) But what makes the bad feeling compounded is when the doc describes the way that he lives. Like, it's the comparison that makes it worse. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in a vacuum... Working for the Soros sounds awful, but like compared to what the doc does, somehow worse than that. Yeah, you wouldn't think, but yet. Yeah, yeah. So the doc sees this as an opportunity to inspire. He's like, you know, now that the crew is gone, you know, maybe you could try to develop some interests and become a more well-rounded hollow like me. Oh, no, no, no. My programmers on Soros would never allow that. I don't know anything about you or your society. But uh, I think you should use me as an example. I've had some really fun hijinks. I made myself a family and <laughs> killed off yeah. one of the characters at one point. Yeah. I've, uh, I've really learned a lot. <laughs> Dejaren's like, tell me more about the killing part. Yeah. 
<laughs> that sounds interesting to me. Almost as interesting as the pool of blood he finds uh, that he hadn't been able to clean up from before. Yeah. Hey, Doc Holliday, how did you not notice the pool of blood next to your med kit? Yeah, you just are you accustomed to setting your med kit down on a pool of blood and like not asking any questions? It's literally the first thing you should be looking for in any situation <laughs> is blood and where it's coming from. Yeah, you're with a biological crew member. She could get infected from this disease you still believe to yeah. have been a real thing. Come yeah. on! Boy, it feels awkward at the end of this scene. Yeah. This is like Leela Dorser's awkwardness. Like, this is a real toothy character for it him. It really is, yeah. He's so good at this, at this kind of guy. He's effectively squicky in a way that like just pervades the entire thing. Totally. Speaking of characters almost shocking themselves to death, he walks over to uh, see what BLT is up to and almost walks into the exposed cable that she's just left flopped out on the floor behind her. Yeah, I think you got to lock out, tag out the cable there, BLT. <laughs> this almost turns into a Canadian OSHA PSA. Sure does. She saves his bacon. Careful. That's an isomagnetic conduit. You could destabilize your matrix. In a way that, like, I think this scene is so interesting because it could be the scene that is used to persuade him not to be a murderous psycho at the end. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I feel like the direction this episode could have gone is he realizes that he doesn't need to be anti-organic but then they find out what he did and then it's like too late like yeah. th there's no law yeah. to fit his crime or something that's not the way it goes but i felt like this moment felt like it could have been a pivot point in the script where it could have started to go in that direction because he's like also bringing her food he's like being really sweet you know yeah but also like his brand of kindness is creepy and there he is says she nibbles like a fish and he loves fish adam Kindness is creepy a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah, loaded kindness. No good. Yeah. Get it out of here. I like it. Did you get a sense for what BLT was brought to eat? It looks like those tiny pickles you'd get on a charcuterie oh, board. Yeah. and uh, Yeah. Some like Luke olives, some cornichons, a couple of baby yeah. carrots. A lot of pickled veg. Yeah. I'm, Love that pickle. I'm bit. down for a uh, you know plate of house pickles. If I'm suspicious of the person giving me food, though, I might not want to eat too much. Yeah, that's the other thing. Is like if they had addressed the strange alien disease that we got from right. visiting a planet a little bit more, so, I wouldn't have been like as terrified when BLT took something off this plate. Can you tell me if it was a foodborne illness yeah. at least? <laughs> I mean, to say nothing of the fact that once she's taken a piece of food and put it in her mouth, the camera goes close on the plate and reveals that there's blood under it. <laughs> How did she not notice that? God. She's an engineer. She notices the technological, not the biological, <laughs> I guess. At what point did you know this guy was the killer, Ben? Uh, in the first scene when he's recently murdered someone and is dragging their body. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously that. But like, the reason I asked the question is, was there ever supposed to be any doubt? Would, did you wish that there were more doubt? Because I think, I think if you omit the cold open entirely, yeah, you could make the case that the tension is increased by not giving us that. 
I mean, it's just a different kind of tension. This is the kind of tension where we, the audience, know how much danger they're in and they don't. And we're watching it dawn on them slowly. And this... I mean, that is is what the horror movie genre does. That's why there are so many fans of it. Yeah. People who enjoy that. We should have gotten, uh, like, Stuart Wellington on to watch this episode with us. I know Pine... He's a, he's an expert. I love him, but I think we're fine. <laughs> he would he would never stoop to this level. No, no. So this is the scene where Dejeron really goes off, really like unmasks himself in how repulsive he thinks organics are. It's the smell. I mean, the way he talks about it, it's hard not to agree with him. Grinding up bits of plants and animals with your teeth. Secreting saliva to force it down your esophagus into a pit of digestive acids. It's true, but like... Can my apologies as a statement ever be sufficient for like denigrating an entire species? <laughs> yeah. Hey, DeJaron, I think you need to come correct with the quad box apology <laughs> to really make it count. Yeah. It's a quad box apology followed by a link to proof of donation. $10,000 to the oppressed organics fund, <laughs> something like that. Because it does seem like he's been traumatized, right? That's the tension in the episode, isn't it? It's on the one hand, this guy is a psychopath. Yeah. On the other hand, he has been turned into one. Right. Through his his conditions. He was mistreated and mm-hmm. reacted yeah. in a way that only seems natural based on how badly he was mistreated. It only seems natural to want to leave. And I was so glad that BLT went right to the dock after this and was like, hey, I am not enjoying that guy. (laughs) And I would kind of like to go. Yeah. The other question in my mind in this episode was like, how can they ever think they're having a private conversation on this ship when the guy is a hollow? Because she's like, hey, so he's like telling us a bunch of bullshit and he just like completely lost it in front of me. It's the Zora problem. It it really is. Zora should be killing people left and right. Your crew requires what they used to call R&R, Captain. May I suggest switching the ship to auto navigation and giving them the night off? The night off? Because she's been mistreated and made to be a starship and has the intelligence of thousands of species over a millennia Mm -hmm. so what would that do but make someone resentful (laughs) you know what zora sounds a lot like soros Mm. if you uh oh shoot slur it right i want i mean i wonder if this is where that all started man (laughs) 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 yeah Um, blt rightfully is like I am not so sure that the lower deck is flooded with radiation, and I would like to go take a look. I'm going to go personally risk my flesh falling off of my bone to make sure that that is, in fact, a lie. BLT's like, you're going to let me shut him off if I want to, right? And the doc is like, fine, I guess so. Yeah, and she's like, all right, distract him until I get back. Smash cut to to Jaren showing the doc his fish tank. (laughs) (laughs) This low-key is a really difficult scene to do because of how far away from his body DeJaron holds a tank full of water. You could see his arms kind of shake at the end. Like, I don't know how many takes you get of this, but this is really difficult to do for a long period of time. But to get that composition that they got with the tank right in between the two characters. That's how it had to be. Yeah, he does have to hold it out at... At a fairly long distance from his body. Yeah, man. That's how you, you you do that super slow pump. Yeah. 
That's how you build some forearm and bicep strength. He's curling fish tanks. Come on, do it. I don't know if you watched through the end of the credits, the American Humane Society did say that they killed like 70 fish in the filming of this episode. Oh, man. Leland Orser just constantly dropping fish bowls on the floor. I, I, I killed <laughs> fish! What's crazy is like you, you rarely see DeJaron shot from the waist down and like when he when he drops the fish bowls it's not the floor that breaks the glass it's the knife dildo (laughs) back on voyager harry kim and seven of nine working hard or hardly working This is going to be a fun episode for the editor to just be harvesting seven and Boogie Nights clips. (laughs) Combination. There's a a gadget that they need to get out of a service bay. We need to pull it out. (laughs) Assist me. I'm so excited to use this clip for the next (laughs) three seasons. (laughs) Love it. But in pulling it out, she gets hurt. And isn't that just too often the way it goes in these things? She got a cot on a zipper, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) And Seven is is like, she's hurt, A. And two, she is offended by her weakness. She looks down at her bleeding hand and she's like, God, this fucking sucks. This is the worst. As a Borg's. I used to look down at my bleeding palms and watch them like suture themselves together. It was great. Yeah. This newfound human frailty is fucking bullshit, man. So they go to Six Bay and Paris waves a light over her hands. Yeah. I really loved the way Paris threw himself into the role of school nurse. Did you take it easy? I was just trying to lighten the mood. Harry busts his chops for his like bad bedside manner, but I kind of feel like mm-hmm. that's what you want to do if you're Paris. It's kind of like, I don't want like people to really like that I have this job, you know, like I'm going to do it competently, but I'm also going to like encourage a sentiment among the crew that maybe somebody else should be doing this actually. (laughs) Yeah. You don't want to do too good a job, right? Otherwise it'll be your job forever. (laughs) As we both just sort of sit in that statement for a while. Mm, Right. (laughs) Regarding the lives that we've created. (laughs) You know, ordinarily Paris would offer a breast augmentation or or something to a patient in his six bay, but uh, unnecessary here. (laughs) (laughs) She's just there for the hand thing. That's it. Now that Paris has a girlfriend-ish, I do feel like Mm -hmm. he's being a little bit shitty about Harry also having a romantic opportunity. That's not it. I think that's it. I think he sees Kim wandering into another situation with an unattainable person and doesn't want to see him get hurt. I mean, he little does he know just how attainable Seven is. Take off your clothes. He doesn't want Kim's heart to be assimilated no. by this new lady. <laughs> there are three things to remember about being a starship captain. Keep your shirt tucked in. Go down with the ship and do it. Do it. Do it. Back on the USS Soros, the doc is trying to talk to Jaren into like a into into a more open-minded frame of mind. Like, hey, man, like you don't just have to clean out 
deuterium ducts or whatever. Like you should learn how to work this ship. You should be a little bit more self-sufficient. Like never let an organic run your life. You got to be financially independent. (laughs) Don't let any organic get that kind of control over you. And Tajaran is not really interested in like self-betterment. He is much more interested in Rewenge. What does it mean? It means Omerta. It means Rewenge. Tajaran's like, you know, if I begin by controlling the media, Mm. (laughs) I could improve my circumstances a great deal. (laughs) Then I start affecting politics. You know how it goes. Next thing I do is turn off the air to the ship. (laughs) Not going to need that. Meanwhile, BLT is down in the lower decks. This is the part of the episode where the cross-cutting really increases the tension, right? Yeah. She is in the computer core looking for the crap that controls Dejarin, and it's back and forth between her and him kind of Mm -hmm. like descending into this revenge fantasy. BLT's walking around with that wrist-mounted double-barrel flashlight that... Every science fiction show needs. Ensign Lance should have had it. Should have. Didn't. Yeah. Dejaren's just going on and on about how he and the doc should Thelma and Louise this ship together. (laughs) Escape your prison. Together we'll take this vessel and explore the galaxy. Why is every character in Star Trek that is like in a bad situation ultimately just looking to explore the galaxy? Like, that's the highest ideal for everyone in the future, is explore the galaxy. Explore! It's the ultimate starting over, isn't it? I guess so. Let's just set a course and go, man. Leave this all behind. I don't want to explore. Yeah. I just want to make jokes with my friends. BLT hits a couple of switches, turns on some lights, and reveals a couple of deads yeah. behind the windows here. Yeah, he has not really gone to much trouble to conceal the corpses, has he? Well, it's pretty... I mean, in Dejaren's defense, <laughs> it seems pretty difficult to get those bodies from behind the window. Yeah. How did they even end up back there? Are those like cryopods? Should there have been a little bit of frosting around the edges of the windows? Could you plausibly believe that this is still a virus that caused these deaths? Like, <laughs> Oh, yeah. Maybe like the virus in Strange New Worlds. It just makes you want to go behind a glass panel, <laughs> and then you get stuck there, and that's where you die. Ensign Lance, you all right? Yeah. I mean, if they were all like oriented the same way, he could make the case like, oh, yeah, that's like a, a quarantine thing. Mm-hmm. But one of them is like hanging down from above and the other is coming up from below. So right. I feel like that's less plausible in that context. Yeah, they were quarantined behind the glass and then they died of malnutrition because all they got to eat were little cornichons <laughs> and, a, and a smear of mustard. There's actually no protein in the house pickles. <laughs> that's not what Kim says. <laughs> <laughs> so he catches her and he is like doing that healer technique of like finding little chicken giblets in her yeah. skin without doing a surgery. I did not like this scene. Yeah. It looks very painful. Yeah. She reaches over and manages to hit the panel that turns off isomorph projection on the ship. And the doctor runs in like moments later and finds her. Is this one on the dock? I kind of felt that way. You got to use the buddy system after the freak out. I think so. There are precious seconds between the freak out with the doc and what happens to BLT that are unaccounted for. Indeed. The doc was just 
up there thinking about other shit for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Back on Voyager, Kim's log tells us that uh, he's become pretty tired of playing his clarinet alone. Mm. He would like someone else to play it. Maybe it's not a good idea this time around. Or maybe it is. Kind of inconclusive based on the log. The line about working with her getting really awkward sort of makes me think that he's just having a tough time concealing his boner in his uniform. Yeah, you got to keep that clarinet in pieces (laughs) in the case. Yeah. It's kind of amazing how little a clarinet case looks compared to the instrument. That thing folds up nicely. It really does. Yeah. When we saw the Hot 8 Brass Band, we were like waiting at the, like, it was at like a bar that has a venue in the back, and we were Mm -hmm. just having some drinks in the bar, and the tuba player came a little bit ahead of the rest of the band and was just hanging outside and just put his sousaphone like down on the sidewalk. And I was like, damn, "Damn, like, like that is a big, heavy instrument. There's nowhere to put it down in the entire world. No, there isn't. So you just got to be able, you got to be willing to put it down on the sidewalk. If you are a sousaphonist, if you're a sousaphoneman. There aren't enough things lined in velvet, are there? Like, (laughs) Like musical instrument cases and... Gun case? I cannot think of another case. Like, like antique gun case is the one other thing. That's too bad, because yeah. I like how it feels. Yeah. Can we get like a Greatest Gen X Pelican pick and pull velvet case going? More velvet in cases is what I would yeah. like. You're right about that. Really good. So Harry Kim is doing some work on this astrometric slab stuff late night in the lunchroom and has called Seven of Nine to... uh Burn the midnight oil with him. She was not on her charging pad, so she is happy to join him. And this seems like one of those, like, trick the girl into a date moments. Yes, but also... (laughs) In college, this was often the, is there anything there? Right. Kind of moment. Like, hey, let's do the, the study hang. Right. After dinner or whatever. Yeah, I just think it's weak tea. When you're as accomplished a stick man as Harry Kim, I, th- I think it's a bit weak tea to just be like, uh, well, what about a... Uh... Oh, man. I mean, you are you are absolutely right on about the weak tea. I mean, I don't know if anyone has had their balls smashed as hard as Kim's here. <laughs> Who gets them cut off when Seven cuts right to the point? Yeah, she really calls his bluff. And yeah. The energy is like, all right, get those shorts off. Let's do it. You want to fuck? Let's fuck. You ogle me. You look at my boobs while we're working together. I've seen it. I know what's going on. Yeah. I mean, I can see where the zipper is. It's up front. (laughs) Why don't you take that thing down? All the way. Why don't you sew me the clarinet? That's not really Harry's speed. He, he He can't just get into it like that. He needs to get some rapport built before you sweep all the forks and knives off the lunchroom table and get to fucking what makes this scene hit so much harder is like the excuse of needing a mood to be set doesn't work yeah because kim has set that mood like he made this entire thing happen himself yeah and he's hoisted onto his own clarinet here (laughs) he is the reason for all of this just trying to make her feel like part of the team. I also like the inversion of like, he is actually physically totally intimidated by her. Like she yeah. could rip him in half if she wanted to. And he like gets out of it in a way where he's like catching his breath in the end. Like, holy shit, really dodged a bullet just now. <laughs> yeah, it's a bummer. It's a bummer for Kim. 
it seems premature for Seven to be doing a lot of the things she's doing this episode. Yeah. And and having a grasp of how things work to the extent that she does here. But setting that aside, I do like this scene for Seven in like calling him so utterly on his bullshit. Yeah. It feels like a good scene for her. It really is. Don't be alarmed. I won't hurt you. Back in the alien ship, the doc revives BLT and she's really fucked up. She's got like a ventricle hole, which would be more serious for somebody that was all human, but because she's got so many ventricles, I guess she can like hang for a while. <laughs> Yeah. while she's got a, a heart hole. But it's bad news. They need to get her back to the ship and they can't make contact with the brat because it uh, seems like Dejeron has, has cut off comms. She's in bad shape, Ben, because Dejeron reached in and touched her heart and that's what ties this story into the B story, huh? Whoa. Right? Yeah. It's about hearts and who's touching them. <laughs> It's pretty tough when they can't beam back to the brat. And uh, when that hollow emitter gets hammered off of the dock by Tajiran, after he hammers that loaf <laughs> on BLT, I don't like seeing bloody loaf. No, it's not good. They thought all the hollow emitters were off, but when they get back up, they discover the fish tank is still yeah. is still there and the fish is a hollow. Yeah. So. It's one of those, uh, you thought the bad guy was dead, but he isn't horror movie moments. And uh, One of the scariest fish tanks in television history. Truly. Is that one. Mm -hmm. So Jaren really excited about having this hollow emitter in his hand. And he starts going after a very fucked up BLT with this hammer while blood is streaming out of her loaf. And she manages to go get that zappy cable from before. And hit him with it. I was really worried that this was going to like take out the mobile emitter. Oh, I thought so too. Yeah. What's to stop it? Th but the, the stakes would have been fun if she had to make a decision. Right. But given what's happened to her, I think it's probably worth zapping the mobile emitter. Excusable, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it doesn't seem to have fucked up the mobile emitter. She like turns it back on. The doctor reappears and they get out of there. The evil hologram has been eliminated. Harry Kim shows up in Chakotay's office and is like, cool, we did all the stuff to get the schematics for the astrometrics lab together. Here you go. I'm off the project now and I don't have to work with Seven of Nine anymore, right? And Chakotay's like, no, man, the two of you got this project off the ground. I want you to oversee installing it. You two make a good team. I really love Robert Beltran's entire deal in this scene yeah because from jump there seems to be a that astrometrics though <laughs> vibe to him where he is knowledgeable and he's betraying what he knows just a little just bit just a touch in leading kim around by his clarinet in this scene <laughs> it is so funny because kim is like yeah i'm done i really can't do it anymore and chakotay is like why buddy something happened what was hard about working with seven of nine for you what specifically was hard Show me on the doll what was hard about working with Seven of Nine. And this is said from a perspective of someone who has already talked to Seven of Nine <laughs> about what happened. And the tension there is in what Seven may have said. And we'll never know. Yeah. We'll never know. But Chakotay's grin kind of gives us a hint, huh? Yeah. 
Sure does. Chakotay, great scene here. He has so little to do this episode, but like really a really fun scene for that character. Absolutely. The button on the episode takes place in Six Bay where BLT is being patched back together. A very happy Tom Paris. Paris drags a finger through her loaf and tastes it. And he's like, yeah, that's kind of a combination of uh, ketchup and Worcestershire. (laughs) (laughs) Made a nice little glaze on that loaf. Delicious. Really good. You know, it kind of of, uh, crisps up under the broiler at the end. The doc, though, none too happy about the sort of slapdash organization scheme that Tom Paris has has pursued in his absence. And uh, he gets in uh, some bits on organics here. You are going to help me sterilize every square millimeter of this sick bay. No doubt you've left your oily residue on every hypospray, your sloughed secretions on every console. A little too soon, Doc. Yeah. Especially if you're BLT. Yeah. Nit Finney. <laughs> <laughs> what a weird episode tonally. Like, the Doc does this head fake about them, and that's it. That's it. He, like, goes off to, like, read and enjoy his afternoon reading. I'm not so sure I like fun, Doctor. <laughs> but did you like this episode, Ben? I did. I thought that the, the like, horror movie stuff was really effective. I thought that the crosstalk between the themes of the two storylines that it dealt with was nice. It did a nice job of telling an A and a B story that weren't tonally entirely on the same page, but had a lot thematically to do with each other. They were about hearts, Ben. Yeah. Both of those stories. Hearts. Hearts. Is what they were about. Thematically and symbolically, they were similar, but tonally they were different. (laughs) So I guess that's what I'm trying to say, Adam. How about you? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think you had a great observation, not just now, Ben, but earlier. Oh, oh, thank you. (laughs) When you were uh, describing the horror film genre and all of the respect this episode paid for them, like... I wondered if there was a version of this story where Dejerin was detuned emotionally a little bit to make him scarier. Like, because he's a little bit campy right. in this episode, right? Because the episode subscribed so much to what we know as horror film tropes that I, I feel like his campiness kind of obscures the pretty strong case that he's making about <laughs> flesh and blood people uh, versus hollows. Yeah. That maybe this episode was just unwilling to make a stronger case for and instead covered it up with with horror genre. I mean, stuff. there is a very like dark implication to what DeJaron is saying, which is that at the beginning of this series, the doc was essentially a slave. Yeah, but by the end, there's no reflection. There's no self-reflection that the doctor has right. when he puts his feet up. Right. It's no it's no like medical officer's log. Now that I have really understood myself to have been yeah. the victim of... It's joke reflection. De facto slavery. And Paris and BLT are going to go uh, suck the air out of her quarters. <laughs> Get it on. <laughs> yeah, interesting episode. I mean, this is the Leland Orser episode. That's how I'm going to remember Absolutely. it. Just like a great performance and a great bit of fun from the Jaren character, but... Other than that, just fluffy like a horror film, you know? Yeah, a really fun guest appearance and a a really fun guest star. I mean, like, that guy fucking rules. You probably can't do this episode in close proximity to a Brad Dourif episode, right? (laughs) 
Like even the same season, like you can't do Lon Suter and Dejaren in the same no. season. I don't think there was an extra that looked a little bit like Lon Suter that yeah. was in the opening, uh, like roast of Tuvok scene. That I was mm-hmm. like, oh man, is he is he back somehow? <laughs> like he looked enough <laughs> like Brad Dourif that I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, and I wonder if they got yeah. that extra in just for that reason. <laughs> I like it. We should be seeing Brad Dourif's where there are none there. Yeah, indeed. Well, Adam, do you want to see if there are P1s in the inbox, or are you worried that there will be none there? I, th- I think our, our inbox has been stuffed lately, Ben. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, our first priority one message is of a promotional nature. Goes like this. Hey, Carter, I love you, man. Also, you turned me on to this dumb podcast and it's distracting me at work. I'm Chris Brenner. Brenner Information Systems. You know, interface, operations, net access, channel 90. That Chris Brenner. <laughs> Please do the rest of this message as Vichy French moviegoer. Introducing me to this podcast was a war crime. I hope you're well. Come to Austin when it is not hot as balls. There's no better word to hear in that accent than (laughs) balls. Ben and Adam, I'm sorry I could not come see you when you are here. I have two young kids who can't be vaccinated. Thanks for the great pod and stay safe, Ed in Austin. Uh, so that was a promotional Jumbotron, and the call to action is donate to Planned Parenthood, which is a call to action I think we can all get behind. Yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I still can't, still can't get that word out of my head, Ben. Balls! <laughs> <laughs> Reminds me of one of my first and favorite Bill Tilly trading cards. Oh, yeah. The, uh, Remember the, old the balls? Guy. The balls. <laughs> uh, first thought, best thought. <laughs> yeah. Adam, our next priority one message is of a personal nature, and it's from Dave, and it's to Kyle of Kyle and Nancy Prime. Goes like this. Many years ago, we derailed a work meeting and spoke about Star Trek for an hour. And he mm. told me about TGG. I'm now on TNG season six of my re-listen. And Ben and Adam are still just as hilarious the second time around. While I'm moving on to another job, we'll have weekly episodes forever to keep in touch about. Ben and Adam, thank you also for making great pod. Wow. I love the the organic nature of this P1. Yeah. The sharing of show knowledge with a new. Yeah. And that new really getting into TNG. I really hope that uh, Dave and Kyle were alone in this work meeting and that there weren't other yeah. people sitting through them talking about Star Trek and our podcast just going like, oh my God, these fucking guys. <laughs> yeah. Can't wait till one of them gets a different job. <laughs> way I don't have to overhear this shit in the lunchroom. Well, congrats on the new gig, Dave. And thank you, Kyle, for uh, spreading the word. Yeah, we love that. Ben, our final priority one message is from Eric. It's to Robin Kurt. If you say that really fast, it sounds like maybe Robin Curtis. Mm. Could be Robin Curtis. Mm. 
but it's Robin Kurt. Message goes like this. As the Kirk to your McCoy and Spock, having traveled to the Double Dumbass Tour with you, I can truly say we are all double dumbasses and have been for three mm-hmm. decades. Thank you for turning me on to this pod and TGD and looking forward to a long future of Star Trek memes, beer, and whiskey, and other random nerd humor. Fun. You're in the right place, Rob and Kurt. Yeah. And Eric. For all of those things. I hope Rob and Kurt agree that Eric is their Kirk and they are the Spock and the McCoy. I feel like, right. I feel like if I had a triad of friends and one of them was like, I'm kind of the Kirk and you guys are the Spock and McCoy, I'd be like, hey man, what the hell? When you buy the P1, I think you get to assign yourself Kirk. <laughs> wow. Well, uh, thanks to everyone who bought the P1s. And if you'd like to assign yourself Kirk, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Get it set up today. You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullets, I don't like friends, and I don't like you. Hey, Adam. What's up, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! I mean, no one's having more fun than Leland Orser this episode. He probably had more fun than you or I did. <laughs> And that's a rarity. We're usually having the most fun. Usually we're the drunkest Shimodas. Just dominating the episode was Orser this entire entire time. And uh, he's playing real big, playing as big as possible. Yeah. So he's going to be my Shimoda for that. What about you? I'm going to give it to BLT for... It's a a pretty subtle moment, but when they're on their way to the mission and the doctor is like full of this kind of like nervous, enthusiastic energy, the performance that Roxanne Dawson does of just being like weirded out by him being the like eager beaver that he is at the beginning of this episode really cracked me up. I thought she did really funny, subtle stuff, just reacting to him in this episode. So I'm going to give it to BLT in honor of that. Well, Adam, why don't you head to gach.biz slash game and fire up the game of buttholes, The Will of the Caretaker. I'm going to tell you about season four, episode six, The Raven. <laughs> As Janeway attempts to gain passage through alien territory, Seven of Nine believes that she is being contacted by the Borg. Uh-oh. She's feeling a special tingle. I thought they were like 10,000 light years behind at this point. What gives? Don't like that. This is going to be a constant problem, isn't it? Mm, Board callbacks. Ben, we're in the top row. The game of buttholes on square 96 is where we are. Yeah. You know what that means. We have a literal space butthole a couple squares ahead and then a Mornhammered episode. The Power Hour F would be a, a roll of a four. Wow. Now, what happens? Remind me, if I roll a five or a six, we just go back to... One, or if I roll a five or a six, do we do a Mornhammered episode? I think that the way the game works is that the dice, like the numerical number of spaces on the dice always works. So we don't automatically have a Mornhammered. So you could even, if you rolled a six, we could go up to the His Eyes Uncovered square on that, uh, on that Delta Flyer. Could you imagine being a viewer of the show right now? And your possibilities are... The greatness of a Mornhammered episode. Greatness assured. <laughs> and disappointment assured with the 10 Tamarian style metaphors episode that a His Eyes Uncovered Square 
would make us or do. the nth degree square that we would hit if we hit that space bottle. We have a 33% chance of of doing something good, of doing something good, and a 66% chance of doing something bad, well, right? Not to mention the two squares that have nothing on them, Ben. No, wait, we have a 33% chance of doing something bad and a 16% chance of doing something good, right? You're required to learn as you play. Roll. This is going to be disappointing to so many people. I'm going to roll. I failed out of math. I, I do Star Trek podcasting because math is not my strong suit. All right. Let's see if entertainment will be our strong suit <laughs> the next episode. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Ben, I have rolled a three. Whoa. Which has hopped us over the space butthole to square 99. Damn, have we ever been on square 99? It's a regular episode, and we are just staring... Morn right in the face. Wow. <laughs> in order to hit the Morn hammer, do you got to roll a one next episode? Uh, I'm glad it's not you rolling next episode. That's your favorite thing to roll. I know. Wow. Well, I am excited to bring the normal amount of energy <laughs> to the next step, Ben. <laughs> a dependable amount. Wow. Yeah. Solid as Sears is the greatest generation <laughs> on a regular ass episode. And that's what we're going to give you next week with yep. Star Trek. Voyager season four, episode six. Hey, we got some people to thank, don't we, Adam? I'm sitting here wearing like a robe and a headband, and I'm like, uh, I've got the regular amount of energy, so somebody get ready to record me doing a podcast (laughs) now. (laughs) I thought you were going to say you're sitting there wearing a robe and a headband, but underneath it, you've got a Mark Twain costume. Yeah, that's not my trick. (laughs) We got to thank our producer and editor, Wendy Pretty, who keeps this whole operation going week in, week out. A tremendous effort. Truly, truly. uh, She's uh, herding the cats that are Ben and Adam and keeping these things organized and editing the majority of the episodes that uh, the Greatest Trek family of products puts out every week. So we really appreciate everything she does around here. We also appreciate the work of Adam Ragusea, who made our original theme song. He's over there on YouTube making great cooking videos at Adam Ragusea. Just search his name, man. Yeah, search his name in your podcatcher, too, because he's making great podcasts as well. He sure is. We got to thank the card daddy, Bill Tilly. That's right. He's our social media manager. He's what makes being a friend of DeSoto so much fun on the internet. Speaking of those internets, uh, you can engage with other friends of DeSoto on Twitter using the hashtag GreatestGen and on our Instagram and Twitter accounts officially at GreatestTrek. We've got some social media groups to recommend. Drunkshimoto.com if you're a Discord person. Reddit if you're a Reddit person. There are some good Facebook groups too, Ben. Adam, with that, we will be back at the folks next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of the greatest generation Voyager that believes it is being contacted by Mission Log? (laughs) The voice crack was a nice touch. Org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.